Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Inspiration. The world seems to be in very short supply of inspiration today, at least judging by the comments that I hear from all the people that I talk to. Most everyone I hear from wants to work at a place that inspires them. Or let me reframe that. They want to work for a manager that inspires them. Who doesn't? Me included. So if you're a leader, you have to be asking the question today, how do you inspire? What is it you should be doing? Now, I feel fairly certain that many of you listening have the intention to inspire, and you probably are taking actions that you believe inspire is inspiring. Question for today is, what does it take to really, truly inspire, and how do you do that in the most effective possible manner? I'm going to give you the heads up answer. It comes back to a sense of purpose. Yes, purpose again. And we're going to talk about what that means, how you do it. And the really good news about this is it isn't an ethereal, long-term philosophical discussion. Instead, there is a very clear process you can follow that's going to work. So my guest today is Steve Curtin. Steve is the author of the best-selling book, Delight Your Customers. And he's a global expert and speaker on customer service management and leadership, ranked fourth by Global Guru as the top 30 customer service experts in the world. So before launching his current uh, consulting company, he had a 20-year career with Marriott International. And today his clients include people such as Carnival Cruise Line, Napa Auto Parts, TJ Maxx, and Health One. And more importantly for today, the new book is called The Revelation Conversation, Inspire Greater Employee Engagement by Connecting to Purpose. And you can learn more at stevecurtin.com. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. It's a pleasure. I can't tell you how many times in the last month I have engaged with leaders and managers around this whole question of Inspire. In fact, I said to a very large audience just a couple of weeks ago that I believe you have to be able to answer the questions for people about how you inspire them. If you can't inspire them, I think you're going to struggle to keep them and certainly to get as much out of them as you would like to, productivity out of them. Right, right. All right. So why? Why do you, I mean, you're the global expert, a big person on employee or customer service. I know you've done a lot of that on the history. I see that in the stories that you tell and in the talks that you give and in the book, Delight Your Customers. Why this thing around inspiration and revelation conversation? Why do you care? Well, you know, I care and uh, supervisors, managers, leaders should care that their employees are equipped with more than job knowledge and job skills in order to reliably execute their job assignments at work. I think that leads to competency, which is not a bad thing, but it also um, unwittingly caps the potential of that employee of realizing something more. And so what I write about is another dimension of every job role, which I refer to as job essence, which is your single highest priority at work, 
that's linked to the organizational purpose or the higher purpose of the job role. And that opens up a whole new realm for the employee uh, to do more than just come into work and uh, leave a job that they would describe as boring and monotonous um, and routine. Okay. All right. I have to go with that one then for the moment. So job role and job essence. Explain to us what those two difference. What is the difference between those two? Well, the job role is comprised of three parts. As I mentioned, you must possess adequate job knowledge and you must be able to demonstrate sufficient job skills in order to be competent. In other words, you need to know what to do and how to do it in order to be capable to consistently deliver upon your brand promise. Um, But that's just competency. And a lot of people stop at competency. Employees stop at competency because their supervisors stop at competency. But there's this other realm, this third part of every job role, which is job purpose, which just doesn't get the airtime that job functions get. You know, everybody's uh, well aware of what's expected of them at work. Oftentimes, they're aware of the bullet points in their job description. At least they're filed away in an employee uh, folder somewhere. And they were exposed to them during the onboarding process. And these um, bullet points in the job description, these job functions, the duties and tasks associated with the job role are supervised, they're monitored, um, they're inspected, and they're the large part of most employees' real world of work. What's not is the higher purpose of their job role. That's oftentimes not scrutinized. In fact, it's, it's, it's rarely even discussed. Right. Right. And then you define highest priority or purpose, job purpose, job essence. You've also used the word mm-hmm. as understanding what your highest priority at work means. Can you give me an example of what that sounds like? Yeah. Yeah. So your job purpose is your single highest priority at work. Job essence is the reflection of that single highest priority at work, the purpose of your job role in terms of the actions and behaviors that you exhibit while at work. So an example of that would be, uh, let's say that I managed a coffee shop. And so I would want to make sure that my baristas were aware that their single highest priority at work was to make a connection with each guest that they served. Uh, Let's say a guest entered the coffee shop and ordered a macchiato. Mm -hmm. So you would expect for that barista if he or she is is qualified or capable or competent to be able to make a macchiato. So they need to possess the job knowledge of what ingredients go into a a macchiato and what proportions. They would also need to have the skills to be able to properly make that to the appropriate temperature and so forth, and then deliver that to the customer. Uh, But that's only one part of the uh, customer experience. And that's the part that's fulfilled by most baristas. But remember, if I'm the supervisor of that barista and I say, listen, your single highest priority at work, your, your, the purpose of your job role, this higher level of your job role is to make a connection with each guest, then what it allows that barista to do in doing his or her job and fulfilling that request for a macchiato is to perhaps as he, as he or she is handing uh, the macchiato to the guest who's waiting at the end of the bar, they can say something like, Um, Did you know that macchiato is an Italian word uh, meaning marked or stained? Your macchiato is marked with a teaspoon of milk. 
it only takes a few seconds. And during that interaction, I've made a connection with the guest in support of my higher purpose at work beyond simply executing a transaction and saying here. Okay. So I've got the job itself and the skills, the knowledge, the capabilities of delivering that job, something we're going to call the job role, the job function. Okay. And that is, you're right. That is what goes in every job description. That what goes in every performance evaluation. That's what our key objectives are built on or our KPIs or our OKRs, whatever your current language is on that one. Check. We get the job function. But you're adding that there's this other thing on top of it, which is understanding my purpose, the highest priority I have at work, what's the thing I'm there to do above and beyond just perform the role, and that then I need to have the essence, which is reflect that in the behaviors and actions. Right. Yeah, it's not enough to know what your purpose is. You know, most sophisticated organizations have articulated a purpose. They may call it a mission statement. They may call it a vision statement. They may call it a purpose statement. It's not enough to do that. You need to communicate it, cascade it through every level of the organization. And then you need to identify actions and behaviors. This is the essence of your job role to reflect that purpose. So it just doesn't remain, you know, um, ethereal? <laughs> well, on a website or, you know, uh, uh, framed in the executive corridor. Yeah. Um, or on a screensaver. You, 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 act, you actuate it. You bring it to life. All right. I'm going to come back to this question of mission, vision, purpose in a moment. But you open the book with this lovely story that I think is true. Uh, and I'll follow this with my own examples. about a CEO who says, yep, everybody knows our purpose. Uh, tell us about this story. Tell us what you discovered. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, delivering a leadership meeting in Chicago. And in the lead up to the leadership meeting, uh, the, the topic was connecting to purpose at work. I asked my client, I said, how many of the senior leaders attending the conference will be fluent in the uh, company's one sentence corporate mission statement? And he said most. And so I said, okay. And then as we as it got closer, I said, hey, listen, I have this naive learning activity in mind where we distribute these index cards to each of the play settings. And before I begin my presentation, I simply ask them, I projected on an instruction slide behind me, ask them to record without the use of their smartphone, <laughs> without uh, talking to the na- their neighbors seated next to them, ask them to record Uh, the company's one sentence mission statement. And we collected those cards. I went out with my presentation, but then afterwards I went through the index cards and I found that, um, you know, dozens were either left blank or they had a question mark. There was one that uh, one of the senior leaders in attendance thought it was a trick question. And here she wrote uh, on their index card. I don't think we have a corporate mission statement at this time. And as it turns out, Wanda, shockingly, there were four out of 222 senior leaders who could articulate the organization's one-sentence corporate mission statement. That's less than 2%. I'm not surprised by that because I see that on my clients every day. You know, the CEO, I'm thinking about one of my clients, just made this big deal about the company's purpose statement. And it's a lovely purpose statement. There's nothing wrong with it. And it actually does connect with their business and their clients. And, you know, okay, that's great. Um, I think if you ask the top 500 in that company what the purpose was, um, the head of communications might get it right. Those who are responsible for having built the website on it might get it right. 
I doubt many others would get it right. They might get the key words in some order, like customer might be in there somewhere. <laughs> Global might be in some, I mean, they get a few key words, but understand what it is and what it means, no way. All right, so while we're on this one, I, um, I'm going to make this statement, and I have a feeling you're closely aligned with me. I think it's very confusing. Mission, purpose, vision. In fact, I think you could exchange whatever statement you have for any one of them for any one of the others. What's your view on that? Is there something distinct here that we need to be paying attention to? Yes, I think, I think too much has been made by organizational development specialists um, that you need to stratify these comments and that you need to have a separate vision statement who, whose purpose is different uh, from a mission statement, whose purpose is different from a purpose statement, uh, all of which are different from core values. Um, I disagree that you need to make that distinction. Um, in the book I write, it, it doesn't matter what you call it, whether you call your statement a mission or a vision or a purpose statement. It just matters that you can recall it. <laughs> that it has some meaning, that it's actually used somewhere within the organization. Correct. One of my um, all-time favorite books, it's a couple of decades old, it's called the Mission Statement Book. And it has the mission and vision statements of, this would be for purpose, was a popular thing. Of the top, yeah, I don't know, a whole bunch of companies, 400, 500, something like that. You read through those page after page after page, you couldn't match up vision and mission from, they all read the same. They all sound just like the same. So that cannot be inspiring because there's nothing distinct about it. There's nothing connected about it. There's nothing that gives me a sense of what it is, I, how I do my job differently as a result. Right, right. They're... Um... Imitative is the word that just keeps coming up, whether you're looking at mission, vision, purpose statements. Um, they, they don't, they're not unique. You couldn't uh, distinguish one company from another. It's character, it's uh, personality, it's culture, it's purpose. You can't, you can't really discern the difference. Same with values. You know, many sophisticated organizations have a set of core values, and there's nothing wrong with those core values. But when they're, they're values like, excellence. It's pretty predictable. Customer service, uh, teamwork, they start to run together and they don't really distinguish you uh, from your competition or from other companies in your industry, or frankly, companies outside your industry. Right. Some of those I always say are table stakes. Like um, companies have values for integrity. And I think that's a really good value. Don't get me wrong on that one, but I don't if there's a company that doesn't really believe in integrity, I don't want to work with them. Like we just wipe that one off. It doesn't seem like that it characterizes anything other than what we expect of people. Right. All right. So we've taken a little bit of a detour here. We've talked about the job function, which are the skills, the knowledge, the credibility, the capability of doing the job. And that's what we spend our time on. We've talked about the job essence or job purpose, which is your highest priority. And we've talked about the essence, which are the actions and behaviors you do to reflect that purpose. And right. we've also said most, many companies now have a purpose statement, but I would argue that very few connect that purpose statement to the job purpose of individuals within the organization. And that's the secret sauce. But our point here was to talk about inspiration. So why is all of that leading to inspiration? What drives inspiration? Well, 
I think as a byproduct, you know, the, the, the book is written in, in thirds. So the front third is to reveal the totality of the job role, as we've discussed, which is made up of uh, job knowledge, job skills, and job purpose. The second part of the book is to connect and specifically to connect an employee's daily work activities to the higher purpose of the organization and or job role. And then the third part of the book is to inspire greater employee engagement. And I believe as a byproduct of revealing the total job role, uh, connecting one's daily job responsibilities to the higher purpose of their job role, you will in turn create a more inspired workforce. Now, there are four questions that are asked early in the book. You know, the, the book title is The Revelation Conversation, and we're probably getting to that. That's the framework that a supervisor, or manager, or leader would use to accomplish three things, to reveal the total job role, connect work activities to a higher purpose, and inspire greater employee engagement. But prior to getting to chapter four, there are these three chapters of buildup, and one of those chapters is the four questions. And those four questions are designed for the reader to articulate a job purpose for his or her job role and the job role or roles that they oversee. And the four questions simply start, um, the first question is, what is my purpose at work? Second question, what values guide my actions and behaviors at work? And then the third question is, what actions and behaviors do I exhibit at work in support of those core values and that organizational or job purpose? The fourth question is, what is my team's aspirational goal? And it's important to really contemplate that, just like the other questions, and, and articulate that. And then in the third part of the book, I talk about the, you know, oftentimes we spend so much time on a, a quality improvement initiative, um, a construct, and we make teams aware of it, but then the sustainment is really left to chance. And in the inspiration part of the book, part three of the book, I talk about the importance of, of developing a rallying cry around that aspirational goal. And this is not a KPI. It's not something you can quantify. It's not something that you can achieve. It's like a North Star that you pursue. So I make this distinction between achieving goals and creating uh, momentum or movement or progress toward this higher aspirational goal. And what I found is that when, when teams have this higher aspirational goal, they have this esprit de corps, right, which is this enthusiasm uh, to work as a unit uh, toward this aspirational goal. And, and that's really what needs to happen to keep this train moving forward rather than have it sort of fade into obscurity like most corporate improvement programs. Right. Okay. So I get the buildup and we're going to come back to that, you know, the notion of how do I help you identify what your purpose at work is? How do I help you understand the values that you're exhibiting and the behaviors you need to do in order to exemplify that purpose? But I want to say specifically with the inspiration, which is the outcome of doing those first conversations, but focus on the inspiration. And you say that when there is an aspirational goal, it becomes the rallying cry that everybody comes around and the glue, if you will, that ties the team together. Okay. Yeah. I see too many teams where the leader has an aspirational goal and the team says, yeah, that's your goal. 
Yeah. There's just no connection to it. So, you know, a team leader who's pushing the team to do more than they can do or a 25% gain on efficiency or sales or whatever. And it's hard getting that team bought in to the goal, believing the goal, wanting to achieve the goal. What's your reaction to that? Well, I agree with that. And I have observed that. I can tell you in in my 20-year career at Marriott, I was just very fortunate to work with leaders who, you know, would put a stake in the ground, um, you know, for this or that priority. And it wasn't just me. They seemed to attract an awful lot of support for whatever their objective was, even if it's something that wasn't put out to a vote. And so honestly, you know, I think that the quality of the supervisor, the quality of the manager, quality of the leader, I think the participation from his or her staff will hinge on his or her quality. And and I'll tell you, the um, workplace report from Gallup just came out. I was on a webinar last week when they unveiled it. The State of the Global Workplace 2022 report. One of the things I I wrote down from that that webinar was um, talked about the manager's effect on a workplace. They say it's so significant that Gallup organization can predict 70% of the variance in a team's engagement just by getting to know their boss. And I think if Gallup gets to know their boss and says, hey, here's a boss who encourages employees. Here's a boss who communicates um, you know, with their direct reports. Here's a boss who's connected to purpose. Um, I think that you're going to see a correlation in team enthusiasm, team inspiration, and the collective pursuit of an aspirational goal. Okay. So we come down to inspiration is part management practice, but probably also part personality. Yeah, I think so. So that sense of connecting with the team, encouraging the team, having a good dialogue, communication strategy, two-way communication strategy, and the manager themselves having a sense of purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. That those pieces are really the bedrock, if you will, that allow the job purpose and essence to flow through. Yeah, there's no doubt that the manager must be credible. And the, I mean, frankly, the purpose statement must be credible. Whether you call it a mission, vision, purpose, it must be credible. The core values must be credible. If there's a disconnect between the core values that are espoused on the website and what I see as an employee, either from my immediate supervisor's modeling of uh, actions and behaviors in the workplace or just my work experience, the company culture, I see a disconnect. And it's going to be very difficult for me to get behind anybody's objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always said that I think that it's hard to inspire someone if they don't like you. I don't mean love you, like you, connect with you, just sort of appreciate who you are. It's kind of hard to be inspired if I don't like you very much. Whatever it is that creates that is a part of the equation. And the second is I have to believe we're doing something worthwhile. 
which is the goal, the team's aspirational goal, if I come right back to it, that that thing is a worthwhile goal. And I think where an awful lot of managers get it wrong is they have an aspirational goal, but it isn't seen by the team as a worthwhile pursuit. Mm. At least that's my view. I don't know. You're the expert on this one. What's your view? Well, I, I agree with what you said. And, and again, I think the focus too often is on possessing adequate job knowledge, demonstrating sufficient job skills, mm-hmm. and being competent. And I've also said being capable to deliver. Um, you could also say execute. So I think there's too much focus placed on job functions, what I just described, and product or service delivery and execution, and not enough on this job purpose, this other sphere and dimension of a job, every job role, by the way, uh, where the focus there is meaningful contribution and purpose. And it's not zero sum. It it doesn't mean that in your job role, you, you can focus either on delivery and execution or on meaning and purpose. You can do both. But so many employees, their potential's capped at delivery and execution only because the management level above them has not made them aware of organizational purpose and the higher purpose of their job role and that's because nobody's talking about it. I mean, they, they talk about it during onboarding. They talk about it at the all-employee meeting. They talk about it here in the United States. First week of October is customer service week. They talk about it then. But then it's left to chance the rest of the time. And so the, the focus always returns to, to job functions. It returns to the P&L. It returns to the budget, uh, to quotas, to utilization reports. And, and job purpose is just too often left to chance. Yeah. And project, you know, this pro- transformational project that we've got to do and that other transformational project. And I think people end up with way too many tasks on their pay or their desk and not enough guidance on where the real priorities are. Okay. Job purpose, meaningful contribution and purpose. Okay. You gave me an example about the barista. Yeah. Where the purpose is really around serving or making a connection with the customer. Give me, because I think people get over the top on this whole thing about purpose. Mm-hmm. Can you give me another example of purpose and how that gets connected to a job role? Yes, I can. And the brief example, by the way, is a behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, the behavior is sharing unique knowledge. So we talked about job knowledge. That's expected. That's transactional. That's part of your job role. Unique knowledge is in this other sphere. Uh, This is a behavior that reflects the higher purpose of your job role. Um, So let me give you another example. And and this example will be an action. And and what separates a behavior from an action is that a behavior is volitional. It's elective. It's up to the uh, barista, in this case, to acquire that knowledge and then to choose to share it. But what you can mandate, and I'll give you a restaurant example. If, if, if I am a general manager in a full-service restaurant, and I say that um, the higher purpose of your job role is to surprise and delight every guest, then what I can do as the general manager of that restaurant is I can incorporate job essence into a process or a function in order to consistently deliver upon uh, this higher purpose of the job role. And so an example might be, as a part of table service, which is a job function for any server, we're going to include 
a complementary amuse-bouche uh, chef's taste of, say, coconut curry soup for each guest prior to their meal. So as the guests are seated, shortly thereafter, so rapport is built, uh, that's a behavior. Uh, shortly thereafter, these chef tastes appear at the table and they're complimentary. So now what we've done, they weren't expecting it. They were surprised and delighted by this action, which was embedded into the process of table service. And by the way, this is going to not only support the single highest priority of the job role, which is to surprise and delight each guest by design, um, it's also going to, or, or has the potential to, increase customer satisfaction and sales of coconut curry soup. <laughs> right. Everybody wins. Yeah, right. That sounds like a... Uh... And gratuities. Everybody wins. Everybody wins at the end. So if the higher purpose, we're in a restaurant, the higher purpose is to delight and surprise customer, then I can build in behaviors into the process that actually enhance the delight and surprise of the customers. And that is a way of building a very job purpose, connecting it to the job function that a waiter is doing. And everybody wins, as you said in the reading. Okay. Correct. All right. It strikes me, Steve, this is a perfect place for a break. But it strikes me that the next immediate question is, how do we think about job purpose and life purpose? And I'm going to leave that right there. We're going to pick that up when we come back from the break. My guest today is Steve Curtin. The book, The Revelation Conversation, Inspire Great Greater Employee Engagement by Connecting to Purpose. And we are going to tie this all back together on the three conversations, the four conversations that as a manager you can have with people to make all this happen. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Steve Curtin. He's the author of the best-selling book, Delight Your Customers. But the book we're focusing on today is called The Revelation Conversation. Um, and Steve's website, if you want to know more, is stevecurtin, C-U-R-T-I-N.com. Now, the whole focus here is how do you inspire? And how do you inspire is to connect each employee's, each of your team members' role, functional role that they do in their day-to-day job to a higher purpose, higher purpose, meaning the highest priority they have at work, and then to the behaviors and values you want them to show in exhibiting that work, something that Steve calls job essence and job purpose. All right. So with that, it's that connection to the highest priority and to the purpose in combination with seeing how that work leads to achievement of a team's aspirational goal that Steve is arguing is going to lead to inspiration, that it's unleashing potential enthusiasm, excitement, engagement in employees, and that's exciting. Um, And we were talking about an example of a restaurant owner taking um, something simple like a complimentary chef's taste and introducing that into the process for the purpose of achieving the restaurant's mission, which is to surprise and delight customers. And that means the waiter has it built in, the waiter gets the benefit from it, the waiter sees why it's connected, and everybody wins because customers are happy, customers leave higher tips, and we sell more of the core food product involved in the first place. So great win, 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 win strategy, Steve. All right, now we've been talking about this in terms of job purpose, But most people, when they think about purpose, they think about their life's purpose. What's my purpose in life? And you make a hard distinction between those who tell us about how you see that. Well, in in the book, in fact, I open up the book. There's so much confusion about this that I address it right off the bat. And the chapter is titled The Two Journeys. And what I write about are these two journeys that all of us are on as human beings, really from the time of birth. And it's a, a very private journey of self-discovery. That's our existential purpose in life. And then we're also on a journey of self-improvement, which is more of our vocational journey. That's the journey we have at work, uh, the very public journey that we're on with our peers and our colleagues and our clients and our coworkers. So I make this distinction between them. The, the, The at issue is I have just done a lot of reading in this area where organizations I think blatantly conflate uh, the individual life purpose uh, with the higher purpose at work. And there is a suggestion that there should be alignment between someone's life purpose and their purpose at work in order for this job candidate, for instance, uh, to be an ideal fit for the company and for its culture. I completely disagree with that. Also, as a part of my research, I found that um, according to one study, 25% of us have articulated a life purpose. I think that's high. I've been studying this, reading, writing on this topic for years, and I'm not sure I've articulated a life purpose beyond raising kind children. I'm a father of four children, kind children uh, who become productive members of society. 
Um, I haven't really thought of a life purpose beyond that. Now, I have articulated a purpose for work, but I see that as something that's separate and distinct from our life purpose. And I think when you begin to meld those together, um, I just think it's arrogant on behalf of the organization. And I think that it is highly assumptive that somebody's private existential purpose in life is going to be a fit with the very public organizational purpose. Uh, yeah, I'm delighted to hear somebody say that. I think having a sense of personal purpose, of life's purpose, is very gratifying. But I think you're right that for most people, those come down to often quite simple things like providing for my family or being a good citizen in the community or making the world a better place or something along those lines. Some people have a distinctly different life purpose. But I think many of us can get more connected to the work purpose. What is it I'm trying to achieve, do, change in my work? Is that a fair way of saying it? Yes, yes. And also, as we've noted, a very small percentage of people have articulated their purpose in life. But the purpose of an organization is self-evident. In other words, if they haven't articulated it, it exists whether they've articulated it or not. Same with the single highest priority of the job role. It exists whether anybody's talking about it or not. You know, a purpose statement is simply, why does this organization exist? And the answer to that question exists whether or not anybody's talking about it. Life purpose is very different. That makes sense. Because I can still have a life, be quite satisfied with my life, whether I've articulated it or not. And it may evolve over time. I can see right. that, that that is just a, a wonderful distinction for me, is that people can understand their work purpose, even if they don't know what their primary long-term life purpose is about or sounds very exciting. Makes more sense to me. And right. it also yeah. makes, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and their work purpose is handed to them. It's crystallized. It's given to them. Well, uh, it's why customers pay for your services. But it doesn't, though, mean that I may know why people buy from the company or use the company's services. But it doesn't necessarily tell me what my job purpose is about unless somebody can help me connect that or I'm smart enough to figure it out all on my own. And, and you know what? Some people do. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I, I was having lunch with a, a colleague a number of years ago. This is the whole uh, manuscript has been incubating for years, as you well know, um, as an author yourself. Yes. Uh, but I was at lunch with a, uh, with a colleague, and he asked me this question. He said, Steve, he said, can somebody tap into their single highest priority at work, even if it hasn't been articulated for them and they're unaware of it? In other words, can somebody be exceptional and reflect purpose at work if they don't know what the purpose is? And I really thought about that. And I came to the conclusion that they can. Absolutely, they can. And these are the, uh, the superstars that you tend to see. And in the book, I write about uh, the importance of, of, of codifying or, or systematizing or operationalizing excellence so that you don't leave it up to the individual. You don't leave it up to that superstar. You don't leave it to chance. You know, in, in, in many cases, if you're seated in a, in a specific section of a restaurant, by virtue of the fact that you were seated in a specific section, that determines the quality of your customer experience while dining there. 
And if you just happen <laughs> to get seated in the right section, you're going to have a great experience. But if you just happen to get seated in this other section, you may not. Have a very different experience. All right. So that's an interesting idea that you can exhibit purpose, you can act out purpose, even if you're unaware of it. We're talking about work. That may also be true in life, but I like staying in the work category. I can relate to that one. You know, um, Aaron Hurst says of purpose, and I think as I'm listening to you think, he's talking more about work purpose than he is life purpose. If he dialed in right now, he might disagree with me on that statement. But anyway, the point is, Purpose at work, he says, is virtually impossible to achieve without relationships, that it's often revealed in the conversations. And that sounds very consistent with what you're talking about in terms of this revelation conversation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it it doesn't. um, I mean, it it does exist, actually, in a vacuum. It, It can because it exists whether you've defined it or not. But if you want to actuate it, if you want to bring it to life. Um, he's he's absolutely correct, and I, I'm very familiar with Aaron's uh, Aaron Hurst's work at Imperative. In fact, um, he's quoted in my book. A lot of respect for him, and he's absolutely right. It's revealed in the conversations, hence the title. Yes, patient conversation. Okay. All right. So, if I want to be in, I'll just come back to the beginning, and then I want to talk about this revelation conversation. If I want to be an inspiring manager. Number one, I have to be somewhat likable because if people don't like me, we're kind of in trouble. It's not going to go very far. And that probably means I have to care just a little bit. Second thing is we need a team aspirational goal that people can see is worth doing. So it's not just about lining my paycheck or my pockets as a manager. It's something that is worthwhile in some capacity. And we have to be able to connect our jobs, uh, the functions of our jobs, with a priority or a purpose at work, okay? And that connection comes through the reveal conversation. Right. So you talked about this already in terms of reveal, connect, and I think the last piece is inspire, but walk us through now, go backwards and walk us through how this reveal conversation really happens. Yeah, well, it just, it begins with an opening question. And the question that I, uh, that I share in the book and, and this can be adapted if it sounds unnatural to the reader. I give them options because they need to find their voice in this conversation. But the question that I like to use is, would you describe for me, from your perspective, your job role, what your job entails? Okay. And when I ask this question individually, the, the, this conversation happens one-on-one. You can imagine the responses I get you know, to the question, would you describe for me from your perspective, your job role, what your job entails? Mm -hmm. The responses are almost exclusively job functions, the bullet points on a job description. I'm never surprised by that because as we've discussed on this podcast, that's what supervisors, managers, leaders tend to observe, critique, reinforce, evaluate. And that's what uh, employees tend to be good at. And as mm-hmm. we said, they possess adequate job knowledge. They can demonstrate sufficient job skills. They're competent. But that's usually where the conversation stops. So they're going to uh, rattle off a list of job functions. And then I'm going to say, well, um, I need to validate that. And, and I need to say, hey, all of those things are important because it's true. <laughs> if, if they're not able to accomplish those things, we're in trouble. 
So all those things are valid. All those things are important. But what I did not hear is anything pertaining to this other dimension of your job role, which is job essence. And then I'm, I want to own it at that point as their supervisor and say, if that's how you would describe the totality of your job role, then I, your supervisor, um, I'm really at fault here, not you. I, your supervisor, um, have described your job role to you incompletely. There's a second dimension of your job role, which is job essence. And then they're going to say, what's job essence? And I'm going to say, well, uh, job essence reflects uh, through actions and behaviors, your job purpose, your single highest priority at work. And then the employee is going to say, what's that? <laughs> and then I need to, and this is why the Revelation Conversation chapter, uh, which is really the keystone or the cornerstone chapter of the book is chapter four. You've got all this preliminary work to do so that you could respond to that question. What is my single highest priority at work? If you haven't contemplated the four questions, you're not going to be able to respond to that question and you're going to lose credibility. So you're fortified by the time you get to chapter four to be able to successfully hold a revelation conversation where you're now discussing actions and behaviors that reflect the single highest priority of the job role. You're, you're able to discuss expectations, standards, uh, corporate culture, um, corporate history. You could even bring in the or origin story. Who knows what's going to come up as you talk about mission, vision, purpose. But I'm telling you, there's really no better use of your time as a supervisor, you know, with the possible exception of, of serving a customer directly. Wow. This clear, I doubt very often that job essence conversation goes on. So I get your point as a manager. I've got some prep work to do. For one, I do need to know what the purpose statement of my organization is, understand it, know what it's about. I need to understand what my part of the organization is actually trying to achieve. I need to make sure that my team goals somehow line up with what it is the company has articulated they want to try to do. And I probably have to do some work in terms of thinking about where's my priorities in achieving that, like what's the single most important thing to do. Right. And then I sit down with a person to say, to reveal how much they know about their job essence, this purpose and behaviors. Right. And then they don't, they clearly don't have it. So now I'm ready to engage with them in a conversation about helping them understand the job essence. So right. the actions and behaviors that reflect the single highest purpose of the job. Right. Where do I even start with? So it's my fault. I haven't had that good conversation with them as a manager. Yes. Check what's next. Yeah. Well, what's next is, is to have that conversation and bring them to the conclusion that you've already formed by virtue of your awareness, your position, uh, your perspective, bring them to that conclusion by involving them in this one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then you said, what's next? What's next after the conversation? I think it's for that manager to observe that uh, employee's uh, work habits. Um, are, they, are they being intentional about either asking questions about the conversation that you'd had? Are they being intentional about exhibiting actions and behaviors in support of job purpose during informal meetings like pre-shift meetings or, or taste panels in, in, in kitchens uh, or department meetings, more formalized environments? Are there conversations that are being, that are coming up, that are being raised 
uh, by people other than you, the boss. Are, are people talking about this? Are people uh, actually performing uh, these behaviors and these actions in the workplace? Are you seeing it manifest? Right. And if you're not, I mean, that's your role to come in. Again, and none of this is punitive. This is your opportunity to come in as a coach. And in the book, I have several follow-up questions to that revelation conversation. Because you're obviously not going to continue having the same conversation with the same person. You're going to be like, haven't we been here before? But you can ask questions like, have you made any more connections between what you do at work and why you do it? You can ask, have you thought about anything we could do differently to support our purpose? Or you can ask, sort of contrarian, have you identified anything we're doing that contradicts our purpose? Because you can learn a lot from that, too. You might, you might approach them, um, you know, within a couple of days of the conversation. What questions do you have related to our conversation about purpose at work? So all of these things are informal. They don't put anybody on the spot. Uh, they're approachable. And they all reinforce that conversation so that it's not seen as a one and done. Well, Steve, I had the revelation conversation. Nothing changed. So it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. It's not true. You've got to water the plants. All right. So... It sounds like what we're doing is taking something as lofty as inspire and delight our, or sorry, surprise and delight our customers, as an example, and making that more tangible in a day-to-day set of actions for anybody who's working for me. Right. So I'm helping them connect to that in their own day-to-day job by having a conversation about it and about how it relates and what is important and how that shows up in the job that they do. I'm asking them again about, have you thought more about it? I'm asking about what do we need to improve in order to continue to inspire and delight? I'm asking what's not working that's preventing inspire and delight. I'm constantly asking in the framework of how do we do more and better inspire and delight of our customers? Is that the general sense here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just keeping it right out in front. You know, they say uh, energy flows where attention goes. Okay. So keep talking about it. Okay. So it's helping employees connect to that larger purpose statement that we've said, whether it's a restaurant or a larger corporate purpose, whatever it is. How does your job function or connect and support that one? And then what behaviors am I looking forward to see? It's interesting. I think um, I doubt many managers have this kind of conversation with their employees, their direct reports at any level. I think there's some point at which we assume you can figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And I still think there's value in having that conversation. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because what we've done up to this point doesn't work. It's not enough to articulate a, a purpose statement, regardless of what you call it, as we discussed, and put it on a corporate website. It's not enough to put values on a coffee mug or on a laminated card that's in somebody's wallet that they can't, that they can't recall because they're not, they're not real. They're, yeah. they're not they're not connected to their real world of work. Right. And so all the work that was done in forging those, they could be entirely credible. As we talked about, those values are in, uh, the value of integrity. That's entirely credible. Uh, but if you haven't provided context for that in terms of saying, here's how we interpret the value of integrity in our organization. And if you haven't assigned behaviors to here's what integrity looks like in our organization. And if you're not having those conversations and talking about it, Nobody's going to remember the value. It's going to be imitative. That's the word we came up with. Or performative. 
and it's not going to really have a bearing. It doesn't. And therein we undermine, we build cynicism and certainly not inspiration. I can see where that one's going. All right. So let's take a slightly harder case. I get it when I'm in a customer serving role. So it's easy to connect a sense of purpose when I'm touching the customer on a regular basis, customer or client. I see the service I'm providing. I can see the way I'm connecting to the purpose. I think it's easier. So let's take, for example, Financial Services Institution, this big organization, and we have loads of people in functional support roles, whether those are operational roles or marketing and communications roles or HR roles or a whole bunch of internal infrastructure roles that never touch a customer never will touch a customer. They might someday hear a story about a customer. And we have a purpose statement around securing our client's financial future. Just to make one up, I'm not picking on any client here for the record. How do we help people who are in those back office roles connect to the company's purpose when I don't cut touch the client? Right. Well, we do it very intentionally by looking at their job role and seeing how it connects this over overarching organizational purpose, and then deciphering uh, what their unique contribution to that organizational purpose is. Um, and I'm thinking, so you know, it would really depend on exactly what that organizational purpose was, and exact and exactly what that what that role, what that operational role is. Um, but it can be done for every. It could be done for every position. You know, as I think about, and and this is not a bank, but it's United Airlines. They have a, they have a purpose of uniting the world. Uh, I want to say we unite the world and connect people. Mm -hmm. Um, Are we, just go with that one. I'm I'm going from memory. Yes. But it's, it's uh, along the lines of we unite people, we connect the world. And so I thought about that relative to uh, pilots. There's a one-to-one connection. Right. Um, relative to reservation agents, again, one-to-one uh, connection. Mechanics of airplanes, one-to-one connection. But then I thought, well, what about the baggage handler? Mm-hmm. How, does, how does he or she connect to uniting the world? And so what I did was I adapted the um, highest, uh, single highest priority of that job role to the uh, specific job duties that were associated with it. So now we're not talking about connecting flights or connecting people. We're talking about connecting luggage (laughs) with the owners of, of the baggage. So it's connecting people with their luggage. So that's not their organizational purpose but it connects to the organizational purpose. Okay. Okay. That way they can participate. Okay. All right. So that would say then it's down to the leaders of the functional areas to make those personal connections to the higher purpose and to get down to what's our single highest priority. I think that focus on the single highest priority is also a really critical piece. And then I see how we cascade it. Once the top of that function can articulate, I see how it can cascade down. All right, Steve, it sounds like this is not a complicated process, 
but one that you got to systematically follow from top to bottom of the organization. And I suspect you could do this wherever you sit in the organization for those that work with you and around you. So my guest today is Steve Curtin. The book that we're talking about is The Revelation Conversation, Inspire Greater Employee Engagement by Connecting to Purpose. Steve, thanks for being a guest today. You bet. Thank you, Wanda. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.